0: all right here we are on another wednesday november 30th and we are talking about the book of deuteronomy and we are now into chapter four so do you remember what the first three chapters were about just the main what would be the main heading of the first three chapters. I probably, I've said it many times, and it was, it's a lot of history. It's, it's Moses reminding the people who have been wandering in the wilderness for a very long time. And the first three chapters you can, uh, John Phillips, he calls it the backward look, looking back. Now, these next eight chapters, starting with chapter 4, is the inward look. It's uh, talking about the holiness of Israel. So, he's given them a history lesson, and now he is, over the next several chapters, he's going to be talking about looking inward, looking at yourself, and, and so looking back to what, for today, just to think about today, we look back, when we share the gospel story, we're looking back in history, and we're looking what, at what Jesus did. And because of what he did, gives us the ability to have a salvation experience, and then we're going to live that life here on this earth, And so that's, we start looking inward. We are, our bodies is a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here because Jesus went to sit at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. He had to leave so the Holy Spirit could come. Now, the Holy Spirit, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Father... They're all one, but yet they're three distinct parts of the Godhead. And they all are together, but yet they do different things, and it's just mind-blowing. So the inward look, we look at ourselves, and are we being a good example of what God wants us to be on this earth? We're supposed to be ambassadors for Him. So how do you become good disciples? How do you become good ambassadors? How We're representing the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to look at ourselves and how we live, and does it match up with the holiness of God? And... We, we just need to remember that we don't have the power to do it, but Jesus does. The Holy Spirit is guiding us, never forcing us to do what's right, but encouraging us to do what's right, and we are to follow. We are to walk after this. Okay, so we, we got into... Uh, a little bit of four last week, first couple verses, because I really wanted to. I don't even know we weren't were we even here last week. We weren't here last week. Were we? That was Thanksgiving uh, night before Thanksgiving. So two Wednesdays ago, I, I, I wanted to get into verse two so that we could talk about not adding to or taking away from the word. So now that we are actually in chapter four, let me read a little bit out of what John. Uh, Phillips says in his Old Testament book-by-book book commentary. These chapters probe behavior. We cannot possess all that God has for us unless we are willing to order our lives in a way that pleases Him. This is the great theme of this section of Deuteronomy. and He's talking about those, these next eight chapters that we're going to be getting into. First, Moses spoke to his people about the law. He reminded them of how it came, what it contains, and whom it concerns. Did you get that? You know how I love John Phillips and the way he he's just amazing with the vocabulary of our English language. So those three C's, how did the law come? So how it came what it contains and whom it concerns. God's standards were high and holy, and the law itself was given amidst, amidst scenes of sobering solemnity. That's a fancy word I would never use. So just think about how solemn the law is. The law itself neither saved nor sanctified, but it did stand as an awesome expression of God's holiness and as a reminder of man's sinfulness. The law does a very good job of that. It shows us how holy our God is and how a different holy, inadequate we are. We are sinners, and we need His salvation. So the law doesn't save us, it doesn't sanctify us, but it gets us turned in the right direction and looking for a Savior. Moses spoke next about the Lord, and and in so doing lifted the question of right behavior to a different and higher plane. Israel was to behave as God decreed, not because of the law's demands, listen, Laws, Not because of the law's demands, but because of love's desires. See that? Another uh, way he, work, he, he uses those letters. Law's demand and love's desire. It is part of the genius of the Bible that it centers things not in precepts, but in a person. Not in a legal code, but in the living Christ. Moses summed it up in a statement of singular beauty and power. He says, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor chose you, because we were more in number than any people, but because the Lord loved you. And that's in uh, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. He cho- so he ch- chose you because he loves you. What could be added to that as an incentive for holy living? Just remember that he didn't choose. He didn't choose the nation of Israel because they were big in number. He didn't choose them for that. He just he he loved he loved them and he loves us. He why would why would a holy God choose any of us? we could there's if you think that you deserve God's love that's pretty pitiful but most of us understand we don't deserve it but he loves us anyway next Moses spoke about the land so we have the law when we first start getting into chapter 4 we're going to see the law then we're going to see the Lord and then we're going to see the land and that's going to be when we get to chapter 9 uh there was a principle to be recognized, a past to, re, to be remembered. So a principle to be recognized, a past to be remembered, and a power to be realized. That'll be in chapter 11. He says, Not for thy righteousness, or for the uprightness of thine heart, doest thou go to possess their land. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. That's uh, chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. The land was being given to them solely on the ground of grace. The application of this truth to us is self-evident. Heaven is not ours because we deserve it. Neither our self-righteousness nor our respectability, nor our religiousness can earn us God's salvation. The inward look tells us why. So that's just a summary of what we'll be going, getting into as we go through these next several chapters. When we get to chapter 12, it's going to be the forward look. You know, the first three chapters were the backwards look, the history, the history of Israel. Well, when we get over to chapter 12, it's going to be the heritage of Israel. Notice the history of Israel, HI, backward look, BL. Um, the second one was the holiness of Israel, the inward look, and then, the heritage of Israel, the forward look, and the last one when you get to chapters 31 through 34 where it really focuses on Moses, it's called. he calls it the hero of Israel. So all of them have an H and an I, and then um, the upward look. All of them have a look. Backward look, inward look, forward look, and then upward look. And that's, that's our Christian life. We look back at the gospel and what it did for us, and then we have that inward look while we're walking on this earth and trying to live a sanctified life, and then we have a forward look, and then we have an upward look when we finally go to heaven. You know, that, think about f- forward look, Yeah, you hear so much today about science, and uh, people have always been wanting to discredit the Bible by attacking creation, and evolution came along, and people seem to be so into where we came from. They're looking, people go, well, where do we originate from? Where did we come from? And... They're so wrapped up in where they originated, looking back, looking back. When you run across somebody like that, you need to tell them, why are you so concerned with where you came from when you need to be way more concerned with where you're going? Where are you going? So I'm going to start with with verse 1, since we're at chapter 4. And we heard this a couple weeks ago, but I only read the first two verses a couple weeks ago. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them. So uh, the word for, because, that, this is why, because to do, I want you to do these things. This, remember you have a, a head knowledge of things, You might know you're supposed to do something, but do you do it? Do you actually carry it out in your life? So that's why Moses is writing this. He wants to teach it, and the reason is is that we'll do it, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you, and remember, when we keep, we're talking about Israel and Israel going into the promised land, imagine yourself, the moment that you experience true salvation, you go into your promised land. That's, that's how you can relate to this whole story of Israel wandering. When we're disobedient, we know the truth and we do not go after it. We know the gospel story. We know God is real through, through creation. We can look outside and see that there's an amazing creator. And deep down inside of us, we know there is a God, but yet we don't pursue Him. The nation of Israel wandering, it shows disobedience. We will wander and wander as long as we're in disobedience. When we finally turn to Jesus he will lead us through the Jordan into the promised land all this in Deuteronomy is preparing them to go into the promised land we need to take this as our instructions this is types and pictures of what we do to get into our promised land today Pro- the promised land is not getting you're not going right into heaven the promised land, we have all kinds of promises in the Bible of things we could possess. All kinds of promises in the Word of God that we just don't take possession of. It's there for us, we just don't take it. It's like having a very rich uh, uncle who lives somewhere in another place and he's passed away and he's, he's left you this big inheritance and you never go take it. It's yours, but you never go get it. That's The gospel is for us. Jesus, our Redeemer, He has died on a cross. He's left us an inheritance. We need to get it, but we don't. Many of us just don't do it. And and not just for salvation, but I'm talking living a good Christian life life, a life that will make things better. We don't get a hold of, of the promises of God, and we never live up to the potential that we should in our Christian walk. And it's getting, it's getting more and more difficult as time goes on to live a good Christian life. We're up against a, a lot of... Uh, People in other countries have it way worse than we do, and we are on our way. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither, sh- neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal-peor, for all the men that followed Baal-peor... The Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. Now, idolatry. We have to understand how terrible idolatry is. Anything you put before your heavenly Father is an idol. Anything that you put before him. If you think that there's something you need to put out of your life so that you can be closer to God, but you won't put that away, you won't get rid of it, then that is an idol to you. We have to really think about, really uh, let the Holy Spirit convict us of those things that could be idols. Let me keep reading some more before I get too much into that. So Moses is showing that there were some people that were into idol worship, and the Lord destroyed them. Then he says, in 4, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. Remember, God is a jealous God. He wants all of you. It'd be like, I think it really hits home when you think about a, a, a true marriage. A man and a woman being married and then the man does not want to share his wife with anybody else she's all his God wants that, that with us when we have idols in our life it's like we're being unfaithful to our to our Savior to to God Almighty we need to think of it that way and how jealous a man would be if his wife was running around with other men he would be very, very jealous, and, and that would be extremely hurtful. And we hurt God when we have idols in our life, other things that pull us away from Him. Behold, so he just said that in 4, uh, there were people who did not go after idols, but stayed with God, and he, uh, they didn't get destroyed, and they're still there today. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Again, I've said this many times, but our founding fathers, they knew their Bibles really, really well. And they read their Bibles all the time. They they read their Bibles and meditated on Scripture so much that when they just carried on an everyday conversation it came out of their mouth we've got proof of that with the the back in uh fourth of july message that i did i i I took a a speech that benjamin franklin did the famous speech that he he says um, if we try to build this nation without the help of god then we will We will uh, do no better than the builders of Babel, you know? So he, as you follow that speech, and what was so cool about that speech is that speech was not written. When, When they came together and they fought and fussed with each other, Benjamin Franklin was very well known to go away from there and in the evening he would write out a speech. He would come back the next day. So, so just imagine, they're they all meeting together, and they're fussing, they're fighting, and he's listening to everything that's happening, and he would go home, and he would write a speech. The next day, he would bring it in, and he would give it to somebody, and they would read it. He was, he was the oldest member. I think he was like 81 when he did the speech that I'm referring to. But he, he did that all the time, and they knew that's what he did. Well, that particular speech that I did that sermon on back in July, that was something he just stood up. He didn't prepare anything. And he gave the speech, but he wasn't reading from any notes that he took. And if you'll remember back to that message that I did, and I went back to the Bible and showed you all the different phrases of that speech and where he got those things from. It was, it was cool as it could be. I mean, I, it just really, I really loved doing that. And it showed me that I needed to know the Bible better and that if Ben Franklin was going to be called the least religious of all the founding fathers, I don't want to be less religious than him or, or considered less religious than Ben Franklin. But does my speech, my everyday speech, does that much scripture come out? So it it motivated me to get into the Word of God even more. So he did not write that speech. He didn't give it to anybody to, to do it for him because it was something that came from the heart. And when you get up and you start speaking from the heart, what comes out? So because our founding fathers knew the Bible so well, they knew that other nations would look at us and say, "Whoa! Look at how wise they are! Look at how the look at what kind of all the blessings they have." They wanted that, and they got it right from here, right here in Deuteronomy. Moses is saying, "If you know what the word of God says, if you know this the uh, the statutes and the judgments, you will be. Other nations will say about you." that that is a wise and understanding people. They'll also say, For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh or near unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? So when they asked in prayer, when they called upon God, He delivered. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach, but teach them... Thy sons and thy sons' sons. So you you are to teach what you know about the Word of God to your children and make sure you teach your grandchildren as well. And in the process, hopefully your children are still teaching their children. So the grandchildren should be getting a double portion and every generation should become more wise and more understanding but does that happen? It doesn't happen. But it should. But we have failed to teach the Bible. One, one of those founding fathers, I can't remember which one it was, it might have been maybe John Quincy Adams, but there was one in particular that would get, get, buy a new Bible, and when he went off on business, when he would go travel for, for business, whether it be, to Washington or wherever he would go to, Philadelphia. It, there, there might have been one it, that went overseas because I think he even went over to France to work on a treaty to end the War of 1812, and I'm just thinking, so if I'm totally wrong on that. Uh, but carried a Bible with him, read it while he was gone, read the whole thing. And when he came back, he gave it to one of his kids, whichever founding father it was. And then he would get a new Bible, and he'd go on another trip, and he'd read the whole thing. And got back, he'd give it to a different kid, and he did that throughout his life, always buying a new Bible, giving it to one of his kids, but not until he read the whole thing first. Verse ten, specially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together and I will make them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth and that they may teach their children. So we take a verse like that and we have a church service. We invite people to come on Sundays to sit and to hear the preaching of the word. Uh, There may be people who have uh, house church, have people come over and they have a meal and get into the Word of God. And the main reason is to teach the children, to pass it down from generation to generation. And ye came near and stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire into the midst of heaven with darkness clouds, and thick darkness. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire, ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice. Now, why, why is he bringing this up? That you heard the voice of God, but you didn't see anything. You didn't see a physical God. We're we talking about idols. They were people were really bad about making idols. Alright, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here. Just, just remember what it what I just read there. It's, that's very significant. Only ye heard a voice. 13. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even ten commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that ye might do them in the land whither ye go over to possess it. So you, you, you're learning your Bible so that when you go into your promised land, you'll know how to live this Christian life. Okay. 15, take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. That covers all the creatures. So there were peoples, pagan nations all around. And all of them had different things. They, somebody, one of them would pick uh, a male or a female. They, they would make a wooden statue-type figure of a female, and they would set it up somewhere, and they'd worship it. Or some other people of a man. There's people who would take whatever... Awesome animal that they thought was just amazing, and they would make an image out of it or worship it snakes, uh, fish. What was it? What was it? Nineveh that I think had a fish god. I'm pretty sure the people of Nineveh worshiped a fish, some type of fish god. And I think that's why they probably really took notice of Jonah because he was puked up out of the great fish and thought maybe they're, you know, they're, God showed that he was greater than any fish god, and he could swallow up a man and carry him to where he needed to go without killing him, and puke him up on the beach and say, go do what I told you to do. And I think they took notice. They did. It, it, god was going to destroy that nation, but he gave them a lot of extra time. You, you go a couple more prophets over in your Bible, and God eventually destroys them but he shows us that if we turn from our wicked ways, he will take us back. So he covers all kinds of stuff here, all these different living creatures, whether it be a man or a woman or any beast or any bird of the air or any kind of reptile that might creep up on the ground or any kind of fish that might be in the ocean. 19, unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them, and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. So, if you don't pick out any of these other things, all these different things that if you if you eliminate all that, then you end up looking up at in the sky, and you either have you worship the moon or the sun or stars. It seems like it's endless. All the different things that you can make into something that you can worship and make an idol of. And if you go back in history, it's it's true. They've all everybody's done it. People have done that. Uh, we've had. Very prominent people in, in our country that uh, were really into stargazing and, and astrology type things and, and maybe looking into it to try to get their future. What you're supposed to do. Well, let's go look at the stars. Well, let's go get some expert in the stargazing and <clears throat> we'll find out what we're supposed to do. That's getting into idol worship. Of the things in the heavenlies. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as ye are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes, and swear that I should not go over Jordan and that I should not go in unto that good land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. But I must die in this land, I must not go over Jordan, but ye shall go over and possess that good land. Take heed unto yourselves. Pay attention to how many times it says, take heed unto yourselves. Remember, this is the inward look lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make you a graven image. So if you forget, that's what you're going to end up doing. You're going to end up making some type of graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. That's the verse you need to remember. Verse 24. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. So all of what we read is from, we've read 24 verses, and it's, it's about idols, and God has given you what you need, but yet you're, you're very if you don't obey what he has given you, you don't keep his word, his statutes and judgments, then you are going to turn to idol worship. Now, he made mention of the Ten Commandments. We're not going to get into the Ten Commandments right now. It might be a couple more weeks, but when we get over to chapter 5, we're we're really going to get into them, and it'll be great. It's going to be an awesome time. I'm tempted to go talk about it right now, but we're not there yet. All right, I'm going to read a little bit <clears throat> out of the believer's Bible commentary, just talking about what we just read. It says, Israel was commanded to obey the statutes and judgments of the Lord God when they entered Canaan. They were not to add to nor take from it. God's punishment of the idolatry practiced at Baal Peor should serve as a constant warning. Perhaps this particular incident of divine wrath against idolatry is mentioned here because it had taken place just a short time earlier and would be fresh in their minds. Obedience to the law would cause Israel to be admired as a great nation by the Gentiles. That was when we were over in 5, 6, 7, and 8 verses. Israel should remember from past experiences the blessings of following the Lord. They were especially instructed to remember the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai or Horeb. At that time, they did not see the form of God. That is, although they might have seen a manifestation of God, they did not see a physical form which could be reproduced by an image or an idol. They were forbidden to make an image of any kind to represent God or to worship the sun, the moon, or the stars. The Israelites were reminded of their deliverance from Egypt, of Moses' disobedience and consequent judgment, and of God's wrath against idolatry. He said, only take heed of yourselves, lest you forget. Take careful heed to yourselves, lest you act corruptly. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget. So that was, that was three times that he said, uh, Take heed of yourselves. Verses 9, then 15 and 16, and verse 23. Moses knew only too well the natural tendency of the human heart, and so he earnestly charged the people to pay close attention that's what he had to say about those first 24 verses. So, so what do we get out of it? What do, how do we apply this today? I think I've pretty much gone over all of that. It's just so important to, to understand that if you don't see what God has already done for you, and you turn from Him, you're going to... You're, you're going to worship something. It's just human nature to want to worship something. And we all have different things. If we do not turn to God and worship Him and Him alone, we'll turn to something else. There's plenty of people who will say, oh, I don't worship anything. I don't have, I'm just so neutral. But if you hang around them any length of time, you'll start to realize what they do worship. You watch the, uh, all the famous people whether it be sports figures or movie stars, and you start to see what they worship. Most of them worship themselves. Some of them worship other people that they just have to have. And people eat it up. It's all over the news, what's going on with with this famous person and that famous person. And I'm just going like, But evidently, there's a whole lot of people out there that care because they keep on coming with it, story after story after story. That's just a waste of time to even read about or watch. But people want to worship something, and they turn from God. But always remember verse 24, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, we are so grateful for a place to come together, to to assemble, to read your word, Father, to lift you up, and Father, we, we, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Father, we are so grateful for our church family and for this house that we come to, It is so joyful to come into the house of the Lord. And Father, I pray that each and every person who came here today, that they would be just better equipped to live in this world. Father, we would be motivated to get into your word, to meditate on your word, that it just becomes part of us. Father, when we speak, that your word just comes out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your many blessings. In Christ's name we pray, amen.